0: This is Kohad and I'm Iman, and you're tuned into another episode of Name It, your encyclopedia of big ideas changing how we think about
1: the world and talk to each other. How you doing today, sis? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we were just talking about people wasting our time today, so I'm really happy that we are here. We are reclaiming our time, and I'm super excited to get into our big idea today, which is, drumroll please. The Erotic by the foremother herself, Audre Lorde. But before we get into absolutely one of my favorite concepts of all time, we're going to start with a
0: case study. Ooh. Yes, our case study is the segment of our show where we introduce the big idea by talking about an instance where we see it playing out in our everyday lives, research, and in current events. Yes. And when we started this
1: podcast, I knew that the erotic, that was the very first big idea I knew we wanted to take on. And I cannot tell you it was so hard to find like a pop culture or current event reference that I felt like really got at what the erotic is and what the erotic means until I went on. Psychology Today, which is like one of those pop psychology websites. And it was like it dropped down into the universe for me. So basically, what this article said was that psychologists have developed a new self connection scale. And we'll put the link to the Psychology Today article in our show notes. But basically, Christine Klussman, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce that, and her colleagues came up with this scale, which is a set of questions that people can use to test their self-connection. And so they tried out this scale on almost a thousand people. And what they came up with was this idea that self-connection has three components. And the first is self-awareness. The second is self-acceptance. And the third is self-alignment. So yeah, so they developed these 12 questions for people to measure their self-connection. So before we jump into Audre Lorde's notion of the erotic, which is all about self-connection, I wanted for our case study for us to get a little vulnerable with each other and our listeners out there in the ether and share how we rate ourselves according to the 12 questions that make up this self-connection scale.
0: Okay. 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 Getting vulnerable. Um, I know, getting,
1: we are getting. (laughs) Okay, so you rate your answers on a scale from one to six. So feel free to just answer with a number. You know, we don't have to get into it, but you know, I'm an open book. So how about we describe
0: what each number means?
1: Yes, okay. How the scale is. Exactly, exactly. So number one is disagree. Number two is somewhat agree. Three is neither agree or disagree. So three is neutral. Four is somewhat agree. Five is agree. And six is totally agree. Makes sense? Sounds good. All right. So the first four questions test your self-awareness, which is the first component of self-connection, and they define it as an awareness of one's internal experiences, thoughts, emotions, sensations, preferences, values, intuitions, resources, goals, etc. So the first question is from a scale from one to seven, how much do you agree or disagree with the statement, I have a deep understanding of myself?
0: Okay, me first. Yeah. So how are we going to do this? Am I going to answer every single question and then you'll go and then we'll discuss? Yeah, we'll just like rock it back and forth like a number. Or what do you think? Or do you think I should reflect upon the way? How about I just do numbers and then we talk about it? Yeah, go ahead. Just do numbers. Okay. I was thinking five. Five on an agree. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I find of
1: everybody that I know in my life, I feel that you have the largest level of self-awareness, which is really interesting because it's like that's That's your self-awareness versus like my perception of it. Yeah. I would say I rate myself. I actually rate myself, I think like a Mm 5.5 to 6 on that, on self-awareness.
0: I agree. You are the person that I literally aspire to be like. I think if you- She's gassing me as always. It's the truth. Vroom, vroom. If you told my family, for example, if you asked them the same question about me, would they say the same thing? Would they say I am self-aware? It's kind of a deep question. I'm like, who am I (laughs) self-aware to? And we were just discussing this the other day. You can literally be unaware of your own unawareness. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, too, I feel like that has to do with, like, what do they call that birth order?
1: Mm -hmm. Like with you being the youngest in the same way, like, I'm the middle And we have, like, in a similar family dynamic, I feel like, with a lot of siblings and whatnot. I feel like that's classic little sibling is always, like, the infantilizing. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh.
0: That Mm -hmm. is, yeah. My older sister loves talking about birth order and Myers-Briggs and all those different personality tests. And that's exactly what the scale is. I feel like this scale is going to be, like, a Myers-Briggs.
1: Like, people are going to start thinking Mm. about that in that way. Enneagram. Exactly. Okay. So the second question is, it is easy for me to identify and understand how I'm feeling in any given moment. I'll give you a second to reflect. For me, I
0: strongly agree with that. I feel like I can name my emotions pretty well. Mm. I'm a four because I feel like sometimes... Is it me being an earth sign? Maybe not. (laughs) I can feel so strongly and know what my emotions are because of the intensity of it. But other times, my emotional response can feel delayed Mm -hmm. to the point that I'm waiting to know how I feel. So I do feel like I somewhat agree because, yes, sometimes I do. (laughs) And other times, I'm like, what is it that I'm feeling? I need to meditate or be very intentional in order to understand how i am feeling and it takes practice i think totally totally well i feel like that goes
1: into the third one the third statement Mm -hmm. which is i know myself well for me (laughs) i'm gonna give myself a five and agree on that i will agree with you and say a five as well yeah yeah so number four is i'm often surprised by how little i understand myself i would say i'm like a 1.5 in between a degree and somewhat disagree I feel like I I know all of my, I'm pretty tapped into my neuroses, which I feel like is gonna come out in the self-acceptance segment. <laughs> right.
0: What about you? I will say in that case, neither agree nor disagree, maybe three, where I get the sentiment of the statement, like it kind of seems contrary to the first ones. Sometimes I am surprised with what I learn upon meditation or I'm like, wow, I never thought of that that way. And I've known about this for a while, yet it didn't occur to me in that way. So in that way, it can feel surprising in a pleasant way or in a like not so pleasant shit. I didn't think about things like that before. Right. No,
1: that's actually really interesting because I feel like you do the work, like you do a lot of meditation, you do a lot of journaling. So I feel like you do the work. You do the work, sis, too. Thanks, boom. Okay, so the next set of questions test your self-acceptance which they define as full acknowledgement and acceptance without judgment without judgment of self-relevant characteristics and experiences and seeing them as a part of us or you and belonging to us or you so the first statement is i try not to judge myself i am definitely on a somewhat disagree to disagree because i be judging the f out of myself
0: you're kind of right. I want to believe that I don't judge myself, mm. but I do feel like, mm. okay, the statement is I try not to. Right. Exactly. So, I do try. Yeah. I mean. I think I try not to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's lately. I mean. Lately. Lately. Listen, I was literally just telling someone, I feel like my internal voice has totally changed in the past like year and a half because my internal voice used to be beat my ass. Rude. Beat him my ass. But now I say like, like True. I would say like 60% were on a good mm-hmm. page and then me and my therapist are working on the other 40%. So that's
0: how it should be. Yeah. I, well, that's the thing. I think as long as you're trying not to judge yourself and like you're now intervening, you can have multiple inner voices. I definitely do. Yeah. yeah. And some of them are really nice. The other ones can be really rude. And I'm like, whoa, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I think I've learned how to interject and be like, that's not true. Where did you learn that? Oh, my God. So I Absolutely. think that's part of the process of trying not to judge yourself. Totally. But that doesn't mean you don't judge yourself. But oh, it's about... Yeah. The try part is an inclusion they made. I I agree.
1: That's a good clarification. And I'm 100% all for those. Like, what do they call them? Like interjecting thoughts. Intrusive.
0: Intrusive
1: intrusive. Intrusive thoughts. And then you come up with that phrase that like helps you like not feel that
0: way. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So I think for me, that'd be like a five that I try not to judge myself. Yeah. Or maybe somewhat. That's a four. Yeah, I somewhat agree. Somewhat agree. Cool.
1: (laughs) So the second is when I find out things about myself that I don't necessarily like, I try to accept those things. I am definitely a disagree on that because my answer to when I find out things that I don't necessarily like is classic Capricorn energy. Here's a plan. Here's a, here's a, solution. All a solution and here's all the ways I'm going to try to not make that a thing. So like I disagree Captain, on that. fix it. <laughs> there was a thing. What was it on? Like, I think some astrology like Instagram where it was like capricorns having fun and then it's like reflecting on something like
0: stupid i did 10 years ago and like, that like that's me that's me for the record we are both capricorns
1: yes which, i'm a december
0: cap though you're jan cap. i'm a jan cap
1: which i feel like is a little bit different i feel like we should do an episode on astrology but i you know what mm. my thought is i know we're gonna get into our half-baked segment but my thought is that people love astrology because it gives them vocabulary to explain themselves which is i like, mm-hmm. in general that's why i think it's like a pop culture phenomenon obviously mm-hmm. it's so much more ancestral and deep to what people have but I feel like as a pop culture phenomenon I just I love when people are into astrology because it just means you have language to describe yourself I agree
0: literally yeah ancient language for one yeah and two it's everything about the erotic people want to talk about feeling and about being and about existence literally and sometimes in this capitalistic world there's not really an avenue to do that or vocabulary and like
1: that's what it gives it's like oh I I can say i'm a capricorn so i can say all the things about myself that give me
0: language to understand how i show up in this world and my likes and dislikes mm-hmm. and whatnot so well i have to agree on my capricorn sense where i do often think about things my therapist is helping me with this yeah in terms of like solutions mm-hmm. when really she's like it just is or like How do you feel? (laughs) Like, it's just as simple as just reflect. Yeah. You don't
1: need to change or act. And it's like the judgment. Like, things can be just as they are. Like, you don't have to assign a judgment or a value to them. That's like, that's my Mm -hmm. big thing. So question number three, even when I don't like a feeling or belief that I have, I try to accept it as a part of myself. I'm going to give myself the same answer in terms of like between a one and a two, a disagree and somewhat disagree. Because. I definitely will try to work on myself. I don't know. But I feel like feeling and belief is a little different there. Right. I feel like they're conflating the terms. I think because I often find myself in spaces where like my beliefs and outlook on the world I actually feel like pretty righteous about in terms of like my politics and my approach towards people I think compared to the larger world out there. So I, I don't know. I think they're conflating feeling and belief there. Yeah. yeah. What
0: about you? It's kind of confusing to see them both in one sentence mm-hmm. because they can be, a feeling is a feeling. I agree. And I don't know, they're not so mutually exclusive at the I same agree. time. So it, look at us thinking too hard though. Exactly, <laughs> classic <laughs> humanities people, what is belief? <laughs> How is it different from feeling? I think, okay, if you were to have me take this test, literally, oh, since we have our five-year college reunion coming up five years ago, Sorry. but I'm excited same same you know those mountains are really pretty yes yes. but i do think there was a sense of me not accepting and Mm. wanting to change in a way that was way more pronounced to my like more Mm. i guess understanding and accepting yeah voice that i've tried to internalize and affirmations do work so do your affirmations say your affirmation yeah so i do think for that statement lately It's a four. I somewhat agree. I do. Hell yeah, girl. I'm happy for you about that. I mean, I'm not perfect. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying. (laughs) (laughs) Try. I mean, isn't that the key word, try? It's the key word. Exactly. So, (laughs) question number
1: four is, I can easily forgive myself for mistakes I have made. If any reference to the Instagram thing about Capricorns thinking about the stupid thing they did 10 years ago, I'm definitely at a disagree on that. I cannot easily forgive myself for mistakes I have made. I can't.
0: That's really funny that... Here I am being like, yeah, yeah, gotta love yourself, Brandon. And now I'm like, disagree. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. But I feel like we're going to
1: get into a little bit of like why it's hard.
0: Yeah. So I, I will maybe say a one on that just because I have trouble letting go and releasing. Ugh, yeah. And I think forgiveness is absolutely one and the same with that process. At yes. Times. Yeah. And again, it's a practice and it's something that takes So much time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see if we are aligned with that, though. Which is interesting because I consider myself a really forgiving person of other people, but not of Mm -hmm. myself. So anyways, that gets
1: us into the last four questions, which is the... Third and last component of self-connection, which they define as self-alignment. And they say that self-alignment is using (laughs) self-knowledge to behave in ways that authentically reflect oneself and fulfills one's psychological needs. And I feel like this is kind of like the set of questions that like most intensely kind of gets at Audre Lorde's notion of the erotic. So the first question is, I find small ways to ensure that my life truly reflects the things that are important to me. I would say I'm an I'm an agree I'm an agree on that. I think I do find small ways. Obviously, I'm not always successful at it, but I do try. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I see. You don't strongly agree though. Just agree. Just agree. Yeah, because I could be You're better. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm there too. Then. Mm, yeah, I love the small things. I love making time for those things. Yeah. But I do think. What were we saying? Capitalism? But I do Literally. think having to do other things time. takes away Who from your time. time. Yeah. So mm. yes. So number six is I spend time making sure
1: that I'm acting in a way that is a reflection of my true self. I would say that I am somewhat in between a four and a five of this. I feel like finally I'm getting into the spot of this like PhD journey where I realize that There's absolutely no point in trying to be anyone that I am and like trying to be someone who's interested in something that I'm not in or like Mm -hmm. trying to be this person that shows up in the classroom in this way. Like that's all a farce and just totally leads to an anxiety ridden, if authenticity is even a thing, but like an inauthentic like version of myself. You know, someone actually an undergrad, not an undergrad, someone below me gave me a really nice compliment that I literally wrote in my journal and they were like, how you show up makes me feel that it's possible for me to be myself in this space. Aww. And I was just
0: like so crying sad.
1: later that night because I was just like, wow, I feel that way so strongly about especially the black women that are ahead of me and my cohort and how they show up and are so authentically themselves, which makes space for me. So I would say that I am finally like abandoning this idea that I want to be anyone other than Iman. Yes. To a Kareem.
0: Yeah. Ugh. What about you, boo? Beautifully said. I love that. I resonate with a lot of what you said yeah. when it came to the black women who are kind of ahead of you on your path. Ugh. Whether that was. They make so much possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally in undergrad, I think that was especially true that (laughs) I would not have even conceived of a lot of possibilities if I didn't have a model in front of me. Yeah. Okay, but I'm getting away from the sentence. I'm going to read it one more time.
1: Right. So the sentence (laughs) is I spend time making sure that I'm acting in a way in a way that is a reflection of my true self.
0: Okay, because it gets so much in line with the self-awareness question, where I wanna say, you could spend time making sure, but will you always be in alignment Yeah, in your everyday? Like, I feel like I am in that 60 to 70% away there, but I mean, I want to acknowledge the growth that I have made and how I feel like I am aligned. But there are a lot of things I still have left to do. And I want to hold myself accountable to, you know, fully reflecting my true self. Yeah. That in the same way you said, I think for one of them, like I could be doing more. I will give myself somewhat agree. Somewhat agree. Yeah. Yeah. Where I feel like I've definitely grown because of the models that are in my life. And I've heard like. Online, it's just such a beautiful thing to hear that someone told me like something similar sentiment to you. Like, you make me feel like a micro
1: influencer.
0: (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I'm like, what was it about what I said and did? Yeah, that made you feel like that. It touches me so deeply. And I think social media is often that place that makes it so confusing where Mm. you're like, my friend is literally going through this this week being like, "Should I delete my Instagram?" And I'm not thinking anything like that, but I do I think I hope
1: not because you use Instagram like a canvas to write beautiful mm. words and share artwork Thank and you. all of that so. Well,
0: that's been the whole thing this year of being like, "I'm going to share that part of myself and yeah. I'm going to do it because I love to do it." So I do think this year has been so amazing. For that growth but it's a hard line to put yourself out there and represent yourself when you're not representing your whole self or absolutely like, it's hard to be so multifaceted and to be doing so many different things because i guess the question is like do i do it for myself or for others and mm. the balance between that yeah so a reflection of your true self. It's like, it needs to be reflecting how you really feel. Absolutely. Some people don't post on social media at all. Yeah. They literally go 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 ghost. Yeah. That's me. That's me. (laughs) So, yeah, I do reflect on like, maybe one day, I'll, just exist just yeah, beyond that space. But I love it as a platform and it's connected me and it's provided those role models that I needed. So yes. it's complicated.
1: Yeah. So yeah. the next one is I try to make sure that my actions are consistent with my values. I would say strongly agree for me on this because I feel like I know what my values are. And also literally my gut will not let me sleep mm. if I feel like I've done something that is not aligned with my values in this world so I feel like that's the one thing I can give myself a strongly right. agree you on you give
0: yourself everything sis that's why you're my role model I'm serious self connection it is <laughs> true
1: no I know but I mean like isn't that the thing of like how other people perceive you versus how you perceive yourself like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. double consciousness which I feel like is literally I was just about to say is I think particularly acute for women of color who again we'll, we'll get into that but yeah what would you say for yourself?
0: Five agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Where the same assessment that I could always be better. Yeah. And that I'm always trying to be better. So I guess try is still the statement here. Yeah. So I do agree. Facts.
1: Try has cropped up I in these statements again.
0: Yeah. That gut feeling you're describing. Mm-hmm. I definitely have like that strong intuitive voice that's like, Burr.
1: hell yeah, that erotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true. Okay, so the very last question is, I try to make sure that my relationships with other people reflect my values. I would say I'm uh, somewhat agree on this just because I feel like I have to be in a relation with a lot of people I wouldn't necessarily be in a relation with Mm. if I didn't have to. And so it's hard to kind of like make your values show up in that. I see what you're saying. There are some relationships that you interact with so much on a day to day with like work and everything that... You actually, there's no space actually to reflect your values. But again, we'll get mm. into that. That's deep. I, yeah, I would say I'm a somewhat agreed. But my personal relationships, hell yeah. Like mm-hmm. I feel like my friendships, uh, yep. my relationships, obviously I have work to do.
0: Hello, Kevin, if you're here listening. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: yeah, <laughs> I'm a somewhat agree on that.
0: I yeah. think I fall in the same ballpark as you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> somewhat agree because again, I feel like we can always all do better. I can always do better. And the same note about, like, when you're forced into professionalism or, like, into specific mandatory ways of, like, existing. Yeah. Then you just have relationships with people that you need to, like, want, get by. (laughs) Exactly. And that could also, like, not always reflect how you really want to be spending your time and with whom. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most, I think, in this part of my life, I try to literally prioritize my relations with those that I love. Absolutely. But it can be really, really difficult at times. I
1: completely agree. Yeah. So basically the conclusion of this article and like the Klusman and folks self-connection scale or test was that obviously a higher score leads to positive emotions like self satisfaction flourishing, clarity in life, and meaning in life, and obviously a low score is negative emotions, like sadness, anger, confusion, what have you. And so the article's takeaway was basically that just as much as we try to connect to current events and friends, that we should put that same effort in connecting to ourselves, Mm -hmm. So, which is true, 100%. And so what I appreciated about these questions was that I think that despite even like the very therapized culture we all live in, that there is actually not a lot of room to talk about One's own relationship to themselves, and particularly that self alignment, like how one's own self awareness and self acceptance and what they hold close to themselves actually manifests in their day to day.
0: Absolutely. So
1: I appreciated that. But, you know, I always got a critique. And my critique is, and we were getting at this in this connection. And when we were talking about the connection and the questions was that I feel like this scale totally doesn't account for the fact of how people's experiences as raced, and gendered and class individuals determine their ability to, one, be self-aware, to be self-accepting, to align their self-awareness with what they do in their every single, in their everyday lives. Which mm. is also to say nothing of the fact that literally upwards of 70% of the people that they
0: tested the scale on were
1: white, so... Mm. I'm just saying, I don't. We need important, important.
0: I know it would completely change if you were to have this conversation dependent on which community you're talking to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Self-awareness.
1: Because, I mean, are you always looking for yourself in the spaces that you show up in? Am I always looking for myself when I enter into a classroom? Depends on the classroom.
0: Mm. You might not find yourself.
1: True. And that's a long and hard journey to figure that out. I feel like I'm finally figuring that out. And so, yeah, I feel like this article just doesn't talk about how also being your actual self can also invite violence if you're a black woman, if you're a person of color that like being yourself isn't always safe. and how accepting yourself and being non-judgmental of yourself when you're being constantly judged, constantly assessed, constantly measured up against like a stereotype or a trope or et cetera, totally didn't account for that. It's colorblind. It's absolutely colorblind. and
0: it's has this neutralized veil over it. When I think it, like you said, it would take a much deeper conversation about it. Like we already had. Oh, absolutely. While doing it, but and you
1: know what? This is actually bringing to mind. Did you watch that white hot documentary on Netflix about Abercrombie and Fitch? Oh, I never watched it. Early two thousands trauma. But how I lived can there. you be yes. how can you be self-aware, or self-accepting when you grow up when the model of perfection is a freaking Abercrombie and Fitch model. There was a science to that. So oh, all absolutely. that to say is that I feel like a lot of being self-aware and self-accepting is actually undoing for black women, for women of color, for all kinds of folks that aren't just like cis-het white men. Actually being self-aware is like a grappling with your trauma process. Absolutely. And so yeah, that documentary really like um, who's
0: being self-aware with this test? And how self-aware can they be? And who like what a luxury.
1: (laughs) Like what a luxury to be like, yes, I am self-aware. I mean, like in a way that I mean, I've spent a lot of time in therapy. So I'm finally coming now at twenty-seven, figuring out like who I even am as a person. But yes. But that is okay. I mean, it's not okay that those gaps exist. But Our big idea, which is Audre Lorde's The Erotic, is really going to help us, I think, fill those gaps. Yes, it is. Absolutely. So quick intro. Audre Lorde was a self-described, quote, Black lesbian mother, warrior, and poet who dedicated both her life and her creative talent to confronting and addressing injustices of racism, sexism, classism, and homophobia.
0: 44 years ago. 44. 44. I can't believe that. In 1978, she wrote this speech-turned essay titled, Uses of the Erotic, the Erotic as Power. And this was during a time when Black women writers and activists were challenging the anti-Blackness that shaped the women's liberation movement and feminism as it stood. And the patriarchal norms that were present in the Black Power movement. Absolutely. And so basically she gives this speech at
1: the fourth Berkshire conference on the history of women at Mount Holyoke, which actually is not too far from where we're recording this podcast right now. And is basically like, boom, listen here, sisters, how we've been organizing our lives and what we consider knowledge is all wrong. So now we're going to get into our TLDR segment, which stands for Too Long, Didn't Read, of Lord's essay, Uses of the Erotic. And this is part of the show where we do the reading so you don't
0: have to. But that said, it literally is about five pages, and she expresses her point through prose and poetry. And if you do have the time, give it a read. But we are going to sum it up for those of us who are quite literally so busy. Literally so busy. But you can also, like Co
1: said, this essay is like five to seven pages, depending on what format you read it. And you can also listen to the actual speech on YouTube, which is only 18 minutes long. So, yes. Beautiful. So, to kick us off, Co, when was the last time you thought this feels right to me?
0: Mm, that's deep. I know. But I have a good answer. Go ahead, girl.
1: Give me that answer.
0: Dancing with my girlies. I was literally. <laughs>
1: We're going to get into that because she talks about how dancing is the erotic yes. for her. Yes.
0: Exactly. The last time I decided to just, honestly, we came through. <laughs> Our friend came from Georgia. Yeah. Everyone came out. Your twin. Your Kalayla cousin was came DJing. out. My cousin was DJing. We're really describing this night. I know. But it was and so it was good. It was- And it was amazing. And it. It felt right. It absolutely did. And it felt like honestly being together is an experience that I feel like has become something you can't take for granted obviously in the context we're in because of COVID, Panorama, the pandemic so it definitely is something that feels extra special Yeah, when it does come around absolutely so that's my answer exactly
1: and that's what she she says that statement this feels right to me basically encapsulates what she's trying to get at when she describes the erotic so she describes the erotic as the sense of knowing as a knowledge that when you know something is right and like maybe you don't have a, the words or the explanation for it but like on a she describes it as a deeply feminine and deeply spiritual plane you know that what you're doing is right. And so she describes this creative energy as the life force of women. And so she writes that patriarchy and what she calls the European American male tradition has been stamping out feeling and teaching women to, quote, separate the erotic demand from the most vital areas of our lives other than sex. And I just want to put a quick disclaimer that this essay was written 44 years ago. So kind of Her, how she takes up the pornographic in opposition to the erotic is dated, but there, and I'm going to put this in the show notes, there's an excellent reading by Jennifer Nash called The Black Body in Ecstasy, which actually describes how the pornographic kind of rubs up and embodies the erotic in a way. So basically Jennifer Nash is going to take up this idea and kind of challenge the idea that the pornographic doesn't also encapsulate the erotic. We're not going to get into too much of that today, but just putting it out there, which is great. Isn't that great about the black feminist tradition that we have many years over centuries of work to keep building on each other and whatnot? So she goes on further to describe the erotic as, quote, the internal sense of satisfaction to which once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. And once we experience this feeling, you know, this feeling, this feels right to me and know its power out of honor and self-respect, we have to organize our lives around this feeling. And she says that we've been taught that basically the erotic and this feels right to me is like exclusively a sensation. Like it's just a feeling. It's not anything we need to do anything with. It's just something that if we're lucky enough, we experience it. And she's basically like, this is bullshit. We need to organize our entire lives, what we do, how we show up in our work around this feeling. And that when it comes to the erotic, that your work and what you spend your time on, that we should be asking ourselves That it's not a question of what we do. It's a question of how acutely and fully we feel in doing. And this is something that I just I love about the erotic is that it's a description of a feeling, which she describes as a sense of knowing. But it's also a call to action. That it's even when we have these feelings, we don't just need to feel them. We need to do something about it. So she writes basically how we also know the erotic in kind of a via negativa way by how deeply dissatisfied a lot of people are with their work. And that capitalism, which places profit before human need, has robbed us of our erotic. And she makes this, I think, a great comparison where she's like, the idea that when people tell you that you need to find fulfillment in your work, when your work is in line with the erotic, with the feeling that this feels right to me, is like blinding a painter and then telling her to improve her work and enjoy the act of painting, which she just says is cruel. So for Laura, she wants her work and her energy to be so bound up in the erotic that the only difference between painting a fence, writing a poem, and laying in the sun with a woman I love is quantitative. And she says that my work becomes a conscious decision at that point.
0: Right. Beautifully summed up. Thanks, Boo. Thank you, I'll be trying. So
1: getting to being on the dance floor and boogieing, how do we access the erotic? Like, how do we know what it feels like? And so for Lord, she's got a couple examples. And she says the erotic comes to her most clearly when she is sharing deeply any pursuit with a person, when she's feeling joy with a person. And this can be emotional, physical, psychic, intellectual. So she often refers to the erotic as the bridge, like this bridge between people and how you relate to people. And second, she says that the erotic happens through her body, like how her body stretches out to the beat of music. And we literally both just got up and stretched. We're always We're always stretching. So she says that dancing, building a bookshelf, all of that reminds her of how open and fearless her capacity for joy is. And can I just say that I feel like the fact that she said building a bookshelf, I'm not a poet. I've never been a poet. Or have related, I think, poetically to my life, but maybe I think you that's are, changed. You are. Oh, no. <laughs> but all that to say is, like, I understand. First off, I love doing these things. I love building bookshelves. I love refurbishing furniture. I love dancing on the dance floor, as you know. But like that idea of like those moments when we're just free and our bodies are moving to beat, and we're just in this state of joy. Like that's the mm. erotic. That's the erotic. And I hope, literally, I'm just gonna put this out there, that one day, name it. We have events around town called Book Clubbing, and it's us discussing. I'm putting this out there. Nobody steal my idea. And it's just us doing what we're doing and then dancing afterwards.
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, first of all, her point about it coming through like so clearly when you're sharing a pursuit with someone else. Yeah. You've taught me the power of that feeling literally through this. The act of recording this podcast Of us dreaming it up, of us literally planting seeds and following through and watching a plant grow. I think like her metaphors throughout the piece and the speech are so touching because they're so embodied. They're so physical and they're so relatable. Yeah. In a
1: sense. Absolutely. And when I came in here, I told you this feels like the erotic for me. Just like getting ready to come here and do this with you. And I just, yeah, just so thank you, sis. I love you. I love you. Yeah. You know, but Lord is also very serious about this. It's not just fun and games. She also says that the erotic and our responsibility to organize our lives around the erotic is also deeply political. And I think this is where she takes up where, where with the Klusman and the self-connection measure, they didn't, to me, at all address on how the self-alignment is political, it's race, it's class, it's gender. So we have to organize our life and our work around this feeling. And for her, she's saying that this feeling that we organize our lives around, it doesn't have to look like the normative things that are assigned to women. It doesn't have to look like motherhood. It doesn't have to look like being a wife. It doesn't have to look like, you know, religion in the capital R sense in terms of believing in a specific type of God or a specific type of afterlife. And she writes that, basically we've been given these quote supplied states of being so much so that we don't even recognize ourselves in our work and our relationship in a manner that prioritizes what feels good to us mm-hmm. and i feel
0: that Agreed. Agreed.
1: every time i read this essay <laughs> it either makes me feel like wow what i'm doing is what i want to do and like this is the erotic and this is how it's showing up for me in this moment or either i'm like no i'm not studying for that language exam because that doesn't make me feel good yeah. i don't know that might be abusing him i don't know but <laughs> (laughs) I think it is. I think it is. So, yeah.
0: It reminds me of the nap ministry is an Instagram page. I love that page. That's literally just like... I think she went to Yale. I think she was affiliated with Mm -hmm. Yale in some Mm -hmm. sense. But I don't know. I'll have to fact check that. But I think so. Please fact check. I I would love to know. Yeah. But her whole motto is like, relax, nap, take a nap. Speaking of that social media question I brought up earlier, she's like, even though... It's funny that the platform is social media, but it's like, you don't need to post that or like, honestly, just go take a nap. Don't start another Zoom meeting. Yeah. Don't start working right now.
1: Do the opposite. Exactly. And also how the socials are often for like putting on for someone else.
0: Yeah. Even though they might
1: be aligned with your work. There was a really funny like audio going around where it was like I'm a small business owner and unfortunately that also means I have to be a content creator and it's like it's a real thing I think I saw that yeah I heard that one
0: I mean and it also
1: reminds me of I feel like we're hitting five years post graduating undergrad. And I feel like a lot of friends are quitting jobs and leaving jobs right now because again, like realizing that their sense of self or if they don't have a sense of self or wherever it is, isn't aligning with their work and what they do. And like, I'm always going to tell you quit that job. Yes. I feel will. like I grew I grew up in a household where my parents were so adamant about leaving jobs that don't value you. I saw my parents go through so many different jobs growing up that I feel like Yeah, that I'm just really grateful for and I wouldn't have obviously before reading this and going to grad school and whatnot wouldn't have conceived that as a way if you want to use the Klusman scales like self alignment and then using Lord's words obviously is like a way that the erotic manifests like not showing up and giving
0: your labor to spaces that don't feel right to you. Period. Period. That is the erotic. And I think it's so deep to think that she was writing 44 years ago Mm -hmm. at a time when even our parents might have needed these words absolutely she was writing 1978 a lot was happening exactly at that point with the black power movement the civil rights absolutely with the creation and inception of rap and hip hop absolutely absolutely (laughs) boundaries were being pushed and broken and I think you bring up a good point which we're not really going to get into but about the line between the erotic and the pornographic and how so much is based upon the appropriation of a woman's body or... And I mean that in the broadest sense of women. Absolutely. That we are just now able to read her work and to be present and to really understand its political meaning absolutely absolutely it, it reminds me
1: too of i just got done the kind of really spending the semester deeply thinking about malcolm x and like slang back in the day they would used to call a job slavin like what are you <laughs> like what is <are> <laughs> it is slavin out here it's slavin out wow. here. <laughs> and it's like that's deep but that's like so much better language than grinding or what have you in a lot of ways that like our capacities and our productivities are just like ushered out. That's why they give you snacks at these big tech jobs. They want to make you happy so that they can use your labor. Anyways, I benefit from those snacks. but
0: (laughs) (laughs) Those snacks are pretty good. They are good, too. But still, I see through you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this reminds me And Audre Lorde was included in this anthology, This Bridge Called My Back. Oh, that's on my list of all the things I need to read that I haven't read yet. Oh, you know, that list is never ending. (laughs) Well, this is one I had to read for class. It's a... Huge women of color, black, lesbian, feminist anthology written in 1981. I think including 32 women identified authors. And they literally provided so much language that we casually use in the everyday. Like, I just remember going into the back and looking at all their intros. They would include their signs and like so many little details. that I'm like, oh, like these generations were only separated by the years that it took for us to arrive. Yes. And that we're really just such an offspring from what they made. Thankfully. So the erotic really makes me think of, you know, vocabulary is all we're talking about. Right. A theory in the flesh is something that they wrote about in their book and talking about how the personal is profoundly political Mm. and that the political is profoundly personal. Absolutely. And I'm just going to read this one quote about A Theory in the Flesh to almost provide more language to describe the erotic and to put them two in conversation with one another. I'm ready, boo. So A Theory in the Flesh means one where the physical realities of our lives, our skin color, the land or concrete we grew up on, our sexual longings, all fuse to create a politic born out of necessity. We do this by naming ourselves and by telling our stories in our own words. So this idea of bridging is the word you use. Yeah, that's what she constantly
1: talks about the erotic erotic. as a bridge. Yeah. And thinking about like this idea of the bridge and building the bridge that isn't a part of like these supplied states of being or whatever. And I think this is like so important. And this is actually something that reminds me a lot of you. She talks about how these supplied states of being in the Euro-American male tradition, which is interesting because then like Patricia Hill Collins is going to take that up. And I think she calls it the Eurocentric Masculine knowledge validation process is I'm pretty sure that's it. But like the way that like and first of all, I love I love I love put a hyphen in everything to let me know what it is. So basically, she says that these supplied states have being have forced us to separate the spiritual from the political and that when we embrace the erotic and organize our life around it, and she calls this organizing within, outwards, it makes acts of oppression integral to the self. Acts against oppression. Yes, (laughs) acts against oppression integral to the self. And this reminds me a lot of the saying, like, Don't let your feelings dictate your actions. I was doing like running workout with a coach and they were like, you're not going to let your feelings dictate your mood and you're not going to let your mood dictate your movement. It's like, actually, no. Well, Lord is telling us that we should actually all be thinking deeply about these feelings and having our feelings dictate our mood and then dictate our movement in
0: this world. Yeah. So we're not we're not disjointing anything because the biggest myth of all is that cishet men have no feelings. (laughs) That's my half big thought.
1: Okay. And I'm just saying, you know what kind of undergrad culture we grew up in.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> the Name epitome, epitome it. of white frat boy. What is it about making you drink that makes you enraged? I have no. <laughs> is that not a feeling?
0: That's, I mean, shoot. I might we witness <laughs> do a lot of <laughs> but things. But violent? violent? The destroying parts. the
1: Oh, the, the facing of property.
0: Right. And who cares about property? This ain't my property. It's stolen property, but crazy anyways. Exactly. The myth that they don't have feelings. That we literally exist in a world that's simply ruled by their feelings. It's not that we don't all have feelings. (laughs) Exactly. But we pretend to according to their rules. Yes. And I think the erotic is simply saying... Fuck all that. (laughs) Right. I'm going to do what's
1: right to me. I'm going to do what feels right to me in this moment. And I'm going to use that to build a different world.
0: And I think putting the erotic in this piece, in this whole conversation and conversation with the test we took earlier is so necessary because we all live in our own bodies. And that informs how we're going to answer these questions. And We can't be colorblind about these things. Oh, my
1: God. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Which makes everything explicitly political. Like the way that you show up and you treat me as a black Muslim woman and my feelings and my response to that are always going to be political. And my acts against how you're treating me are always going to be political
0: because our identities are politicized. Absolutely. Like it's, it's not that we're asking to be exactly. seen as political, but we can't help that that is how we are perceived. Exactly.
1: So Lord closes this essay by basically saying that this world is filled with a bunch of faux feelings gatherings. And so by this, she means that basically there are all these, quote, prescribed coming togethers that aim to share feelings, but basically use feelings like a Kleenex. You just blow into them and throw them away for your own use.
0: Wow. Right.
1: And so to me, deep, because how many faux feelings gatherings have you been to? So to me, this is like every EDI training I've ever been a part of. Every post-2020 George Floyd gathering, I think, is an example of this, of how all these companies, all these corporations, all these institutions, universities basically had Black people laying out their feelings raw. And then did absolutely nothing to address the anti-blackness within their own work environment. So,
0: yeah, we're talking about Correct. equity and diversity and inclusion. All those workshops, all, all everything them. you've ever had to. One, if they make it mandatory, that tells me most people wouldn't have shown up anyway. Oh, absolutely. And then if they don't make it mandatory, it's all the people who don't need to be there that are there. That are running it. Name it. Name it. For real. Yes. <laughs> I think that's really deep that you can use feelings and that feelings can also be something that turns manipulative or like, into a bad thing when really if we all honored each other's feelings it would just be a respectful exchange.
1: Absolutely and that reminds me of an episode we're going to do on complaint where how if you complain you become somebody who complains about a problem becomes a problem and it's that same when my feelings compel me to complain about something then all of a sudden I'm the problem and that's not the proper use of my feelings we should reserve that for the EDI training.
0: Yeah. It blow into to that Kleenex and throw
1: it away. Yeah.
0: Divided and out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, exactly. So we're here to remind you to speak how you feel, yeah. to stand up straight and to own it. Yeah. And trust that it. gut and know that that's
1: knowledge. You don't need to have the words. But if something doesn't feel right to you or something feels good to you, that's knowing you should act upon that. It shouldn't just be something you take home with you and think about later so yeah so lord closes this essay calls us to be brave enough to quote risk sharing the erotic's electrical charge without having to look away and without distorting the enormously powerful and creative nature of that knowledge so that we can then change the racist patriarchal and anti-erotic world
0: Yay, Audrey Laura. thank you so much for giving us those words. Thank you, Audrey. I was just about to say the key I think for us is to be so grateful. Oh, so grateful for her words and for like the inner sense of knowing so much of self-awareness is where did I learn that from? Absolutely. Who taught me that and where did that come from? And to be so grateful for that knowledge and to honor it. Yeah. By speaking it. Yeah. And we're taught so often. Like a lot of the knowledge is like this
1: is right. And we're so very rarely taught that actually this is wrong. Like what wrong looks like out here in this world and how to do that. So thank you, Audre Lord, for giving us those words. We appreciate you. So our closing segment, which is one of my favorite segments, is half-baked. Girl, you want to tell us about that segment?
0: Well, for one, half-baked is my favorite Ben & Jerry flavor. <laughs> per, If you needed to know, anyone. <laughs> But it's also the point in the conversation where we just share our half baked thoughts, meaning thoughts that are not fully crystallized that honestly, have you thought about it before? I hope not, because you shouldn't have. Right. And also, (laughs) this is like a phrase that students will
1: often use in the classroom when they're going to share something that they know is right, but can't necessarily cite their source. or just be like, well, you know, this thought is kind of half baked, but I'm just going to say it anyway. So. My half-baked thought for this episode and this week is that my dog Kingsley has white privilege, (laughs) and he does. He's an escapo. He's an escapoo, (laughs) and he's a poodle mix. And I know like half-baked isn't supposed to be with explanation, but my data to back this up is my partner and I have been living apart for the better part of this year. And he's had Kingsley and now Kingsley is with me because we're finally together again for the summer. And I've been walking my dog around my mostly white neighborhood. And when I tell you that white people, particularly above the age of 40, the same white people that I've been walking across the street with are finally being like, hello. But they <laughs> oh, don't say hello to gosh. me first. They say hello
0: to him first. Trevor Noah has
1: a literal segment on that. Oh, OK, Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. So all that to say is my dog has white privilege and I'm in very close proximity to it. And yeah, that's my half-big thought. What about
0: you, Boo? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That my dogs are black. (laughs) People ain't coming up to them. (laughs) Well, actually, one of them, funny enough, we had our first dog, Zico, literally named after the Brazilian soccer player, Zico. He was a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And Rhodes has all types of issues. You know, look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Not for this episode. Right. But he's from Africa. He's black. Like, yeah, he yeah. fits right into our family. And we have two rescues now that resemble him, but we don't really... We know they're, like, lab mixes. Yeah. One of them's kind of, like, high yellow. Like, he's <laughs> Yellow. Right. He's a lab... But, you know, he has more privilege than the other one. And she's the sister, like, Zicky. Oh, through she, and through. She's my background. Ah, <laughs> Kohara is showing us her phone screen. I'm
1: going to meet her dogs and her whole family and go up to her house for the first time tomorrow. So I'm very excited about that. So
0: that's our half-baked thoughts. Kingsley has white privilege and yeah. my dogs. They're black. They're black. Hell yeah.
1: Black and proud. Please let us know in our Instagram post. Send us a DM if you... I'm sure there's an article out there on the racialization of dog breeds. So. Mm.
0: Oh, and the whole pedigree and oh, dog oh, shows. Oh, and- all that. All, all that I'm
1: sure there's something out there so send it to us so please. <laughs> thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of name it you can find us on social media at name it pod and everywhere you listen to podcasts and we ask please 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 we are new rate and review this episode tell us what you liked what you want to hear more of comment a, a big idea you want us to take on and you can catch all the articles that we've referenced and additional resources in our show notes and our Instagram page and last but not least please share this episode with a friend because that's how people find out about things by word of mouth. Yes. And lastly, a big thank you to the Poverty Center for Teaching and Learning in Public Humanities at Yale for giving us some resources that helped to make this conversation possible. We'll okay, keep bye-bye. Bye. Have a wonderful day and live your life erotically.
0: Yes, live your life erotically and enjoy. Bye guys. We don't have yeah. Oh,